Right as you're sitting down, I want to tell you, I met a young man last week, 17 years old. And this young man was a very nice young man. His name is Corey. I asked him, I said, Corey, has there ever been a point in time in your life when you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and put your faith and trust in him ever? He said, you know what? Last year around this time, I was thinking about it. And I said, well, what about now? He just shook his head. Nice young man. And I said, Corey, can I ask you a question? If you died, do you think you'd go to heaven? I said, Corey, I'm a pastor and I preach a lot of funerals. And after death, it's too late. He said, I think I might go to heaven. I said, okay. What if you stood before God and God said, why should I let you enter to heaven? What would you say? He thought. He said, you know, I don't really know what I'd say. I said, Corey, there's only one answer. That I've turned from my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ died on an old rugged cross and arose from the grave and I've asked him to forgive me of my sin and I've received him as my Lord and Savior. I said, Corey, that's the only legitimate answer in order to get to heaven. Have you done that? Jesus arose from the grave. He said, no. I said, I'm going to be praying for you. And there's a lot of people just like Corey. In fact, there might be some people sitting here today that you maybe have made a profession of faith like I did at 13 years old, but I didn't understand it. I was not really a Christian. Although I'd been baptized, I went to church like many people today did, but I had outward religion, but not an inward relationship. Do you really know Jesus Christ, not know about him, not just know the stories about him? I'm talking about, do you spend time with him? Do you have this uh, relationship intimately with him? Well, there's probably some people today, there's something missing in your life. You're not happy. You're not happy. You haven't been happy for a long time. What in the world is it going to take to make you happy? I mean, all the money in the world and all the, you know, things, material possessions of the world, not going to bring real happiness. Oh, no. That relationship with Jesus is going to bring you peace and joy. And I've got a feeling there's some people today that are sitting here that maybe the Lord has been put on the back burner. Today, the Lord Jesus is saying, I want to have first place in your life. He deserves it. Can I get somebody to say amen? amen. He's been good to us. And to give him leftovers is really not what we ought to do. So today, God's calling you and me to love him, to serve him, to live and to enjoy his presence and uh, fulfill our purpose in life. I talked with another young man this week, 17 years old. His name is Jordan. I said, Jordan, uh, are you a Christian? I had the opportunity to speak at a Christian school for about two hours, from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Not a single soul moved. Teenagers, I'm talking about 6th grade to 12th grade. And this young man is in the crowd, and as I was sharing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, I asked him, I said, Jordan, are you a Christian? He said, you know what? I believe evolution. I'm a scientist. And I believe in evolution and the Big Bang. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, I believe if you want to say God said, bang, and it was there. I believe it. But uh, other than that, I don't know about all this. Uh, and I said, it reminded me of the poem, Jordan. Once I was a tadpole when I began. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Next, I was a monkey in a coconut tree. Now I'm a professor 
with a PhD. That's about the size of evolution. Anyway, and I asked him, and he said, you know what? I'm changing my views. I really believe that God created the heaven and the earth. I'm telling you today, there's a lot of people right now that need to hear the love of God, the God's forgiveness. So I want to preach today on the subject. I've been really seeking the Lord. And hold on to your seat. We're going for a ride. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a break today. You're not going to have to. Well, you can turn there, but uh, I want to initially share with you there are seven ways you and I can experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I believe today that the Lord, through the power of his resurrection, brings physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing from the past. Is there anybody here today that you have gone through some stuff in your life and you need the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to bring healing from abuse, healing from addiction, healing from some physical ailment? The Lord in his power of his resurrection can bring healing in the past, but I'll tell you what else. He can bring great help in the present. Anybody need the Lord today? Does anybody need God's blessing today? Anybody need the peace of God? Why you've been worried, have you not? Why you've been anxious, have you not? Why you've been fearful, have you not? Why you've been afraid? Come on, let's don't just play church today. Let's get honest with God. You've been insecure. You're wondering about the future. You're wondering about your finances. You're wondering about your family. Oh, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will bring not only great help in the present and emotional and spiritual and relational healing from the past. But I got even better news. It'll bring a bright hope for the future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings a bright hope for the future. Now then, as we talk today, I want to share with you seven ways that the power of the resurrection will absolutely change your life. And uh, here's where we're going. Now, I said today's going to be a little different. Normally, I'll take a text and we develop it. But if I could, just for the sake of it, I want to draw your attention, but we're not going to look there. But Paul said this, I want to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. Not just know about him. I really want to know him. How many of y'all know him? Gnosko. Not just know about him, but I know him. He's with me. Oh, praise his holy name. Well, there are seven uh, experiences you can have and I can have as we go through this of the power of the resurrection. First of all, I want to tell you, when you are down in the dumps and when you're facing troubles and trials, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ can bring great help for you in the present. And I tell you, if you wanted to turn to a text, you'd find it in the book of, notice, this great resurrection chapter, the power of the resurrection, you'd find it in Job's book, one of the oldest books in the Bible. And I just want to remind you about Job and all that he endured. Are you down in the dumps? Have you been down in the dumps? Have you been discouraged? Have you been lonely? Have you been experiencing some panic attacks. I'm preaching to some people today who are really going through some stuff. 
But I want to tell you, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will bring you up, it will bring you in, it will bring you great help in the present. I'm telling you, our God's alive. If your God's not dead, then you just need to throw him in the trash can because he's not any good. Because the God of the Bible is alive. He's not only going to take us to heaven, hallelujah, he comes to give us a little heaven here below. Is there anybody here experiencing heaven below? If you're not, don't say amen. If you're not, don't shout. If you're not, don't raise your hand. <laughs> oh, but praise the Lord for the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, you remember Job. Job faced all kinds of calamities, all kinds of uh, troubles in this whole life. He was hit with one thing after another. He lost his son, seven. He lost his daughters, three. Imagine that. And then sheep, oxen, servants, and the whole nine yards. One stroke after another stroke after another stroke. On top of that, his friends said, my sin in your life, Job. They were wrong because there was a day when the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan also, and it was a test of Job's faith. Y'all look up here just a minute. How many know God never did come back to Job and say, oh yeah, Job, I forgot to tell you why you were going through what you're going through. Can I tell you something? God does not have to explain to you or me why we face what we face. But is that not a test of our faith? But in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his balls from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, you know what Job said? Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's say that together. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Say it again, I can't hear you. The Lord gives. Ah, oh, yes. And so Job found that Jesus Christ is alive in the midst of his suffering. In Job 19, 25, the word of God records, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He shall stand on the earth in the latter days, and after my skin, worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Is there anybody down to the dumps today? I said, is there anybody down to the dumps today? Look up, cause your redemption draws nigh. Just reach out your hand to faith. Say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Is there anybody here today that's playing church, playing games? Is there anybody here today? Oh, yes, there's a second way you can experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. It's not only when you're down to the dumps, but what about when your heart's stricken? What about when you're grief-stricken? What about when your heart's broken? I believe I'm looking at a crowd today. I know Jim Daniels. I know others of us who've had loved ones go to heaven. How many be honest with me? The last day or two, you've been thinking about them. Come on, let me see your hand. I believe there's a lot of us who have had loved ones that go to be with the Lord. It's hardly a day. Come on, y'all talk to me this morning. It's just us. There's hardly a day you don't think about them. It's hardly a day that you don't miss them. I'm telling you, the person you're sitting next to right now, I just feel led of the Lord that you need to turn to them and say, I thank God for you and I love you. Do it right now, do it right now, do it right now, do it right now. If the Holy Ghost lets you, it may be your last day on planet earth. It might be the last time those listening by way of live stream. Don't take each other for granted. Oh, this might be our last day. I thank God for you. So, when you're heart-stricken and uh, when you're grief-stricken and heartbroken, what do you do? The power of the resurrection. Can I take you back to that great scene in John 11? There was Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and they had a brother. What was his name? Lazarus. 
And guess what? Jesus was a friend of this family. Did you know that? He loved this family. But a day came when Lazarus grew sick and died. How many know that would bring your heart to be burdened and bereaving? Oh, yes. If you've gone through that, you know what I'm talking about. And then Martha and Mary's waiting for Jesus to show up. He'll show up in a moment. I know if Jesus showed up, he can help us. Guess what? Four days went by. One, two, three, four. No Jesus, no sign of Jesus. And then all of a sudden he shows up. Learn this. Learn it well. Jesus is an on-time God. <laughs> he's never late. He's always on time. It might seem like he's late right now. Is there anybody here say would say to me right now, Pastor, I've been praying for my loved one, and the breakthrough hadn't come yet. Come on, let me see your hand. There's a lot of us today that say, God, where you been? Lord, what's going on? Come on, talk to me. You know what I'm saying is true. You've been discouraged. You've been wondering, Lord, when are you going to stretch forth your hand to power? Lord, when are you going to open that door for a new job? When are you going to change that person? He's an on-time God. God knows what we're going through. And so Jesus shows up. Martha meets him and says, Jesus, I can see Martha right now. If you'd have been here, my brother not have died. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha don't understand. She says, I know he will in the last resurrection. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that lives and believes in me shall never die shall never die say that with me shall never die say it again isn't that wonderful news for a christian absent from the body present with the lord and then mary meanwhile is inside martha goes inside and says mary the master's calling for you i want to stop right there and say how many believe the master's calling for you today how many believe that God is calling you to follow him? How many believe that the Lord Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men? How many believe that the Lord is calling us to live a holy life, not perfect, mind you, but a life that pleases the Lord? How many today would say, I hear Jesus calling, saying, come and dine? Oh, yes, Mary goes out. They make their way to the tomb. Four days had passed by. But there was something blocking the tomb, resurrection power. You know what was blocking Lazarus from coming out? There was a great big stone in the way. What's blocking you from experiencing revival? Is it unconfessed sin? Is it bitterness? Is it uh, uh, ungratefulness to God? Is it ingratitude? Have you thanked God for your blessings today? Have you counted your blessings today? Uh, oh, yeah, I know we face problems, but in the midst of that, the Lord is still good. Amen. The Lord is still worthy of praise. Y'all don't want to talk to me today. It's all right. I, I need a witness, but I brought my witness with me. So whether you want a witness or not, hey, look. And uh, they uh, stand at the tomb, and Jesus says, remove the stone. And you know what they did? They took that stone and moved it. There's a stone standing in your, in your way keeping you from uh, fulfilling God's purpose in your life, you know what it is. Will you ask God to remove that stone? What is it? Is it some pet sin? Is it some bad habit? Is it some excuse? Is it some person? Is it something else? Remove the stone. I'm telling you, Jesus is standing on the outside of your life right now, 
saying, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said, had he not called Lazarus, the whole graveyard would have been emptied. And guess what happened? Lazarus comes forth, bound hand and foot. And Jesus Christ said, the risen Lord, loose him and let him go. Oh, don't you know there was shouting right there? Absolutely. Heart stricken and grief stricken. Are your heart broken today? I'm telling you, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. There's a third way that we can experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Not only when we're down in the dumps, as Job did, and not only when we're heart stricken like Mary and Martha, but what about when your faith needs to be resurrected? I've got a feeling there's some of us going through this COVID-19 and all the bad news and all the misinformation and all the stuff that we're going through today. Can I just, I know I'm going to make some enemies right here, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? How many know, Pastor, uh, I don't, uh, I want to obey the Lord. Can I tell y'all what? And see if you agree with me. I'm more, I don't, I'm not as interested in whether the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is played in Atlanta. I'm more concerned about people lost going to hell. And I think so many people are sidetracked and distracted on all the stuff going on instead of serving the Lord, instead of focusing it on our spiritual life. And whether you agree with it or not, I just wanted to say it because I love you. Now, I don't want to get in knee-deep in all the politics, but I'll tell you this. I know this. Everything's going according to God's plan, and he's still on the throne. Amen. And he's coming again, regardless of what happens. So we got to get our eyes on Jesus. Oh, that's exactly right. Well, then, he is the one that resurrects our faith. Now, you remember when Jesus is in the upper room. His disciples are with him. Come with me, follow with me now. The 12 disciples, they're celebrating what we call commemorating the Last Supper. When the Lord wrought a great victory and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, 430 years of bondage. Watch them now. They're up in the upper room. Jesus takes that bread, unleavened bread, and that juice. He breaks it and... Uh, he begins to give it to his disciples. Well, you know the case. Judas refuses and thus goes out. And the Lord Jesus makes his way to what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. I happened to be there just a few years ago. And it brought back great memories uh, seeing the Lord Jesus in my eye of faith as he knelt down. And he said to Peter, James, and John, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, watch and pray. Look at your neighbor say, watch and pray. Yeah, yeah, watch and pray. Here he goes. He's in the garden, and he's sweating great drops of blood. Father, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thy will be done. I asked some young people this week, I said, what do you think that meant? They said, well, he was afraid of dying. Bonk. Wrong answer. He wasn't afraid of dying. I got news for you. Rather, he knew in that cup was your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world. And he had never experienced sin. And yet he understood Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. He literally had to become sin for us who knew no sin in order to pay our sin debt in full. And I've got good news for you. Look at me. Thank God he didn't shrink away. He drank that cup to the last bitter dregs. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And therefore, I want to tell you, he was 
agonizing in the garden because of the disobedience that you do and I do. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. And then Judas and that crowd comes, and Judas had already indicated to those police and that law enforcement, I'll kiss him on the cheek. That way you'll know who you're to arrest. And as they come, <laughs> the Lord Jesus, they say, they ask, where is he? Jesus steps up and says, I'm he. About that time, boom, every one of them fell like dead. How many of you know that God is a mighty God? But when he speaks, you better listen. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then they arrest Jesus. They take him to this mock trial. Look at me. It was a done deal. A done deal. First, he goes to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas uh, brings two indictments on Jesus. You know what they are? Your disciples and your doctrine. Well, it didn't hold water. That wasn't enough to execute a man. And so they plotted and planned. It was a done deal. Next, he goes to Caiaphas, who is the son-in-law of Annas. What happens there? Not a whole lot other than he finds no fault really in Jesus, but he wants to crucify him. He wants to get rid of him. Why? Because the Jews said he claims to be God. How many know he was God? He blasphemed. Well, that wasn't enough from a legal perspective to execute a man. And they knew the Roman government would, government would not execute a man based on just his insinuations alone. So, they came up with another plan as they sent him to Pilate, the governor. Pilate made that statement, I find no fault in him. How many of y'all know you can't find fault in him either? I said you can't find any fault in his blood. You can't find any fault in his word. You can't find any fault in his Holy Spirit. No. And then, so, Pilate tried to evade his responsibility. So next he goes to Herod. Herod, well, I take that back. He went to the Sanhedrin. And by the way, the Sanhedrin was that ruling authorities in Jewish custom. And it was a absolute violation of the law. If you read the text, you'll find out the Sanhedrin, they met at night. They met in a place which was not the temple. That was a no-no. Bottom line, it, it was a done deal. I know God was in control. And so he consequently goes to Herod. Herod says, you know, I've been wanting to see you for a long time, Jesus. I really have. And Herod says, I don't find really any fault in him. And uh, so next thing you know, he goes over to the king, uh, Caesar. And, uh, and the accusation is not only are you claiming to be the son of God, but they say, you say you're a king. Are you a king? Well, you know this was insurrection and this would not hold water with the Roman governor or, or with the Roman authorities. And once you uh, claim to usurp and undermine the Roman government, boy, that was legitimate for execution. And therefore, he was turned back to Pilate and Pilate says, well, the Jewish law, I find no fault in this man. We must execute one and there's a prisoner who should we execute? I'm paraphrasing. And they all shouted, they, the Jews and others, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. Who in the world was Barabbas? He was a, in, a, a robber, he was a thief. He was a criminal, he deserved to die. And yet he went to go free. 
How many know that describes you and me? Amen. We deserve the judgment of God. Yet Jesus, thank God, through his blood, sets us free. And then consequently, he went back to Pilate. And Pilate said, scourge him. Now, you need to know. And if you don't, let me remind you. The scourge was a short-handled Roman flagra with pieces of bone or metal in it. And a executioner, a Roman centurion, had the skills to fillet a man alive. And yet, in this case, it was to leave a little life in him. Needless to say, as he was wounded for our transgressions, oh, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes were healed. Why? He loves us. Why? He was willing to die for me and you. He was willing to become sin for us. He said, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and raise it up again. And yet, Paul wrote, he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Oh, yes, others had died as the Persians had perfected and the Romans perfected this means, means of execution. And they took him to the place called Golgotha. I happen to personally believe it was at the Mount of Olives. However, there are traditional sites in Israel today, Gordon's Calvary. And if you go there, you'll be going to tour to different places. At any rate, the centurion, after scourging Jesus, they took him away to be crucified. All of this is recorded in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John and the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew and the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke and the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. All credible witnesses record the crucifixion. Now, you know, when he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. I said, when he was on the cross, you and I, as a songwriter put it, were on his mind. And yet, those first three hours, I won't go through all the sayings, but I will say this. When they crucified him, God in the flesh, Jesus uttered those words on the cross. You ready? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How does that make you feel? I can't believe. I remember as a boy looking at a Bible story book, one of those little blue children's book. And I opened the page as a boy, probably seven years old at the time, and I saw a man hanging on a cross in a picture form. And I read those words, Father, forgive them, know not what they do. And I saw a crowd around him. I said, how in the world could he do that? Even as a seven-year-old boy, I thought, what in the world's going on? Father, forgive them. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Speaking of John and of Mary. And then you know what Jesus said those last three hours. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lemma, sabbatani. What in the world did it mean? Well, God the Father could not look at his son because of your sin and our sin. And Paul said he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God the Father had to drop a veil of darkness on the land as it were. He turned his back because God is holy and he must judge sin. He must punish sin and thus the wrath of God. The what we call propitiation, to satisfy a holy God. Blood had to be shed. And God the Son and God the Father were so at oneness from eternity past. And yet in that moment of time and eternity, Jesus 
and was willing to taste death, hell, for every man. Why? That we wouldn't have to. Somebody say hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. So that you wouldn't have to go to hell. Jesus experienced our hell. I'm telling you, yes, he did. And therefore, he was placed in a tomb. Joseph Arimathea came and got his body down. He happened to wrap it with 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh. And keep in mind, these were strips of cloth that they prepared a body for the embalming. Along with, I might add, Nicodemus, who was a secret disciple but could have been dedicated. And whether he was really saved or not, Jesus said, you got to be born again. I know that much in John 3. So we go to the tomb. And that face cloth, sweat rag around the head, they placed him in that tomb. And put a stone, a great big stone. It was not a little big stone like you might imagine. Rather, a great big stone, according to the scripture. And then, and then they were told to put a seal on the stone. Guards in the way in case somebody came, stole the body. By the way, I want to totally debunk, debunk these so-called theories. Number one, that Jesus just fainted. You know there's called the swoon theory, S-W-O-O-N. I beg to differ with you. He didn't just faint. How do I know that? Cause, let me go back. That Roman soldier with a spear as he was hanging on the cross, Passover, I might add, the soldier saw the other criminals dying on the cross and the soldier thrust his sword in the side and out came blood and water. That's what John says. Blood and water. What does that mean? It means he died of a ruptured heart. I'm telling you, Jesus' heart was ruptured because of your sin and mine. Then he placed that body in the tomb with a stone, as I said, rolled away. By the way, the women saw exactly where it was. Some say they went to the wrong tomb. I beg your pardon. They went to the exact tomb because Matthew records the women were sitting over there knowing exactly where the tomb was at. And so... Uh, they <laughs> let that time clock come by, one, two, three. On the third day, Jesus said, I'll be raised from the grave, just like God said it would happen. You can rest assured that the Lord is going to keep his promises. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but wait a minute. And so on the resurrection morning, an angel came and rolled the stone away, according to Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, and Luke's gospel, chapter 24, and Mark's gospel, chapter 16, and the Gospel of John chapter 20. No, up from the grave he rose. Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb and the other women made their way to the tomb. Peter and John ran to the tomb. John being a younger and faster outran Peter. And the Bible says he looked down, he believed. He saw the face cloth in place and the grave clothes undisturbed as if a body had been resurrected out of that. How'd you leave your bed this morning? <laughs> I'm telling you, Jesus Christ conquered the grave. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? And then he appears before the disciples. Actually, he appeared 10 different times on 40 different days. And as he went to the upper room, the disciples were there. Keep in mind, they had denied the Lord. They had fled from the Lord when he was arrested in the garden. We read that, and a young man fled naked. Many believe that to be John Mark, the secretary of Peter, who wrote the gospel of Mark, and by the way, abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journey, and yet Paul said he's profitable for the ministry later on in life. God's a God of a second chance. Hallelujah. Anyway, here, disciples, Jesus 
shows up and it shows out. Thomas sitting there. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe except for I see the nail prints in his hand and thrust my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe. And Jesus shows up later with Thomas there. I can see old Thomas right now. Is it you, Lord? Is it you, Lord? Jesus says, here's Thomas. Look, put your hand in the nail-scarred hand. (laughs) Put your hand in the nail-scarred hand. And Thomas does and says, my Lord and my God. Yes, when you've seen Jesus Christ resurrected, you can't help but to say, my Lord and my God. I'm talking about when your faith needs to be resurrected. Anybody today need their faith to be resurrected? I believe so. But wait a minute. Can I tell you this? There's not any storms going on. Tell them to be quiet. Amen. We hear that at night about 2 o'clock in the morning, a buzz. But look at this and this noise. When I take that back, there might be somebody who's, what do they call them cars when they steal the cars and stuff? Thank you. That may be what's going on. Anyway, look, when you feel defeated, when you feel defeated, is there anybody here that says, you know what? I know I ought to be reading my Bible, but for some reason I'm not. Uh-oh. I know I ought to be witnessing, but for some reason I'm not. I know I ought to be praying with my family, but for some reason I'm not. I know I ought to be going to church, but for some reason I'm not. I know that I ought to love people, but for some reason I'm not. That that I would do, I find myself not doing. That that I don't want to do, I find myself not doing. Paul, a converted man, states what we experience. We feel defeated. Lust and greed and covetousness and ungratefulness. Why am I ungrateful? Why am I feeling these thoughts when you feel defeated? The power of the resurrection is available for you and me. Paul wrote in that sixth chapter. I love it. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. He said that we've been crucified with Christ. And the picture is baptism. Bared with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin might be rendered inoperative. Knocked out of gear. And henceforth, we should not have sin as our servant, as our master. Question. Are you right there? Are you saying, I know I need to be nice and, and I need to be a spirit-filled husband and love my wife. And I know I need to respect my husband. For some reason, I don't do it. I know I need to be uh, raising my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But for some reason, I'm more focused on this. Hey, when you feel defeated, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we're celebrating today will enable you and me to be spirit-filled Christians. How many of y'all want to be a spirit-filled Christian? You can be a carnal Christian all your life and wait around in the baby pool and have to have your pampers changed all the time. But God's calling us to a deeper walk, to a closer walk, to a love relationship, to do great exploits for God because He's worthy. Amen and amen and amen. Well, what do you do now when you feel defeated? What do you do when you're experiencing pain And you need some relief. Is there anybody here hurting? Yeah, yeah. When you experience pain, you need relief. I'll tell you what. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says there's there's, uh, inescapable consequences. And there's insurmountable evidences. And there is incomparable assurances in that 15th chapter. Christ died for his sins, was buried, third day rose again. And he tells us about that new resurrected body. A sown in weakness, raised in power, a new body. I've been having this old plantar fasciitis hopping around on my foot. Three cortisone shots. 
and I'm saying, dear God, I'm trusting you, your grace is sufficient. That's minor compared to what a lot of people are, are going through today. But I want to tell you, one day there's not going to be any more pain and no more sickness and no more sorrow. Did you hear about the lady that went to the doctor, the dentist? And the dentist, she told her, said, Doc, to the dentist, I need the tooth pulled. Pull it. No Nova, Novocaine. No painkiller. No shot, no nothing. Jerk it out. Take it out. I'm in a hurry. Be done with it. The dentist said, ma'am, you sure are brave. He said, which one is it? She looked at her husband and said, open up your mouth, honey, and show him. <laughs> no pain, no gain. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 58. But wait a minute, when your loved one dies, I'll tell you, when your loved one dies, thank God there's hope beyond the grave. There's healing for the past. There's help for the present. There's hope. Yes, there's a bright hope for the future. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I was talking with my stepmom, Kathy, yesterday about daddy. First, celebration in heaven with the resurrection of Jesus. The dead in Christ rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain caught up together with the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Comfort one of those words. That's going to be the next resurrection. That's the next event on God's calendar. I'm saying, Lord, even so come. Well, what about it? What about it? What about it? When you don't know who to trust, Jesus said, I'll be crucified. Three days I'll be raised from the grave. Can I tell you what? Jesus Christ is alive. And I'll tell you about Jesus. He's a way maker. How many believe he's a way maker? And the Gabriel, the angel said, with men some things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible. I don't see you looking at your neighbor telling them that. Tell them, all things are possible with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a way maker. Number two, he's a chain breaker. He breaks the chains of addiction. Is there anybody here that could testify? I'd be lost and undone. I'd be on a skid row. I'd be on dope had the Lord Jesus not saved me and delivered me. Would anybody testify today? Yes, yes, yes. He's a chain breaker. Gadarene demoniac, Mark chapter 5, legion of demons. That means thousands. And there was a madman who met the God man and turned into the glad man. Jesus cast those demons out and said, Go home and tell your friends and family great things God has done. Don't look at me. Why aren't you telling? Are you ashamed? Are you embarrassed? Are you afraid people are going to ask you questions? Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Oh, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He's not only a way maker and a chain breaker, he's a storm calmer. How many believe that? He can calm the storm right now in your life. He says, peace, be still. The wind has to obey him. The waves have to obey him. He's a storm calmer. I tell you what else. He's a death defier. Jesus Christ is a death defier, the power of the resurrection. He said, behold, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And hold the keys to death and hell. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? Do you have hope in him? Do you have faith in him? Today, whatever you face, he's a death defier. Not only that, but I'll tell you what else. He's an eternal life giver. He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Tell you what else. He's a sin forgiver. Somebody ought to say amen. A sin forgiver. He forgives our sins. Some of the sweetest words in all the Bible are this. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
Y'all aren't grateful. <laughs> if you just knew what God saved you from, if you just knew where you'd be today, you'd be jumping up shouting, saying, Lord, you've been good to me. I thank you for saving my soul. It's not of me, it's of you. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. Lord Jesus, you have forgiven my sin. I'm clean and forgiven. David said this way, committed adultery and murdered Uriah the Hittite indirectly. David said, create within me clean heart, O God. Psalm 51 and 10. And brother and sister, if you see how ugly your sin is and how it separates from God and it makes God does not hear our prayer until we deal with our sin, is there some unconfessed sin in your life? Well, David said, create within me clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He's a sin forgiver, hallelujah. Tell you what else he is. He's a giant killer. How many of y'all facing some giants today? I'm telling you, every one of us face giants. There's some giants we can't kill. There's giants all of us face. Can I tell you, take you back. Second Samuel 21, David is up there in age. He's 85 years old. He faces a giant called Ishbabinob. Say that with me. Ishbabinob. And David, the Bible says, Ishbabinob the giant knocked him down. I don't know whether he, exactly what happened, but it says David grew weary and tired. I'm looking at a crowd like right now that you're having a hard time staying awake. I see some of you nodding. I see your eyes going to sleep. I see it's hard to pay attention. I understand when the old body gets worn out. And somebody said, I'm at the age right now, if it don't hurt, it don't work. <laughs> Somebody said, man, if I drop something on the floor, I'm at the age right now, I look around and see if there's anything else I need to pick up before I get up. And somebody said, Garrett, listen, Lindsay, somebody said, uh, they put down, they said to their fiance, I got two things I want to ask you. I saw the picture of you. I saw you, you had the ring in your hand. I saw you get down on your knees. It reminded me of the young man that said, I want to ask you two things. Yes, what is it? What is it? Said his fiance. Will you marry me? Yes, yes, said Lindsay. Then she said, what's number two? He said, will you help me up? <laughs> oh, I'm talking about a risen Lord. God is alive. He's alive. He's not only a death defier. He's a, what, giant killer. He's a giant killer. Are you facing some giants? I said, are you facing some giants? Thank you. Two people are honest in the house of God today. Eddie and Marcia, thank you for being honest. We're all facing giants. We're all facing giants we can't kill. That's why we need a giant killing friend. Abishai, Abishai, Abishai. Say that name with me. Abishai. He helped David. The Bible says secured him. That means helped him. Oh, praise the Lord, a resurrection Lord. He's alive, hallelujah, he's alive. He's not only a giant killer, he's a heaven preparer. Jesus said in my Father's house and many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am there, you may be also. I'll tell you what else, he's a great I am. If you read the Gospel of John, you'd see that Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 
In John 10, 9, I am the door. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but to me. In John 15, 1, I am the true vine. I present to you the resurrected Lord as the great I am. Oh, bless his name. Yes, he's the justifier. Yes, he is. He's the king of glory. And I'll tell you what. John said, I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. He that sat on him is called faithful and true and righteous and did judge and make war. His eyes are in a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. That word crown is not the word stephanos used in the Revelation 2 and 3. Rather, it's diadem. On his head are many crowns. He deserves to be crowned king of kings, lord of lords. Oh, yes, he is the king of glory. After the rapture, he'll come back as the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's a lion that roars. John saw him up in heaven. Nobody was worthy to open the book and the seals are up in Revelation 5. But John said, I see one like the root of David. God the Father gives him the scroll. What's in that scroll? Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18. It's the Lamb of God. The wrath of the Lamb of God is poured out on the earth at day one of the tribulation. John sees him as a lion that roars. How many believe that Jesus Christ is a mountain mover? <laughs> if you got faith of a mustard seed, say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the depths of the sea. A mountain mover. Anybody need Jesus to move some mountains for you? I love the Lord. Praise God. I'm telling you, today he represents, he is the need meter. My God shall supply all your need, not your wants, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many believe he's an overcomer? I said he's an overcomer. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's Revelation 21, 7. The word overcome is the word nikeo, which means a conqueror. He's an overcomer. I'll tell you what else. Oh, he's the Passover lamb. He's the one who quickens us from the dead. He's our redeemer. I know that my redeemer liveth. He's called the strong tower. I love over there in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. Have you read Nahum chapter 1, verse 7? The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. A stronghold. A refuge. Aren't you glad he's a refuge? Oh, bless his name. Somebody ought to shout. Amen. Somebody ought to say praise the Lord. I'm telling you, there are angels all around us right now. And if you don't shout, they are praising the Lord right now. Amen. And the rocks outside are praising the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody said the average church today, they don't need a preacher. They need an undertaker. And God help us. I heard a story about one, uh, one person had a heart attack on the back row and the paramedics came in and took out two rows before they found the right person. <laughs> now look, you may take offense to me saying that, but the truth be known. Look at me, please, look at me. You shout and you holler at the ball games. You shout and holler at other things. Why can't we praise the Lord? Amen. Why can't we shout and thank God? There's something wrong with us, folks. There's something wrong with us. Jesus Christ deserves glory. 
You say, I don't get emotional. You do. You do. You kill a turkey, you get emotional. You kill a big deer, you get emotional. Something happens good, you get emotional. Don't give me that business. You don't get emotional. And we ought to say, thank God, one day when we get to heaven, if you don't learn how to praise God now, you're going to have a heart attack when you get to heaven. That's right. right, Absolutely. Praise the Lord. I feel better now. Amen and glory. Hey. By the way, have y'all learned, I don't really care what you think about me. All that matters is what God thinks about me. And if some of us would swallow our stinking pride and what we care about, what other people are going to think about us, and get loose out of our grave clothes and start thanking God, you'll feel better about it. Instead of quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit and squelling the Holy Spirit, no wonder when we leave we feel miserable. You got to, what's in you has got to come out. Oh, bless the Lord. You say, I'm sophisticated. I don't do that. I call it rigor mortis. I'm serious, beloved. Now, I'm emotional and sometimes I get emotional or not, but whether you feel like it or not, today is Resurrection Sunday and you ought to get a little emotional. If your God's dead, you don't need to, but if he's alive... Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. People are watching you, and they'll say, that man, he talks like he's a Christian, but I don't see him ever, and no motion, nothing at all. I wonder if he's really got the same Lord I've got. And that woman, now look, you shouldn't do it just because somebody else does, but bless God, I'll tell you this, in heaven, there's not going to be silence forever in heaven. There's not going to be silence. Read my lips. We need to learn to praise the Lord now. We need to thank God now. What are you going to do when that chorus in heaven rises up and starts praising the Lord? Are you just going to sit there like a knot on a log and not say anything? I got a feeling you're not. I got a feeling we're not. Oh, bless the Lord. Resur- you said, Pastor, you done, you done gone to meddling. Well, let me meddle a bit. It's Easter, all right? It's Resurrection Sunday. Hey, look, you need to check up and see if you're saved. What's in you has got to come out. Oh, it does. Look at here. Jesus Christ is the triumphant, victorious, worthy, undefiled, ex-bearer, the renewer of our youth, and a zealer fulfiller of all righteousness. Does anybody know him today? I said, does anybody love him today? Has anybody here dared to say, God, you're my rock, you're my salvation? I'm telling you right now in the church, we've got good company here, and the reason we're not shining a light more and being vocal more out in the community because we're not doing it in the church. And when we start putting aside our, uh, you know, last year this time, we weren't able to meet at all. And I heard people say, oh, I want to go back to church. I want to go back to church. Let's don't get back in a rut. Let's go to the next level and praise the resurrected Lord. Let's serve God with gladness until he comes again. I need somebody to say, I'm going to praise the Lord whether anybody else does or not. Yes, Lord. Stand to your feet, would you? Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, I know I get complacent. And I get, Lord, at times, oh Lord, (laughs) forgetful of how good you are, how good you've been. I pray you'll cleanse me from the times I've been ungrateful. But today, 
I want a new start and a fresh touch from heaven. Oh, blessed God, we worship you for who you are. And we praise you this day and every day. You're a living God. But this day, we rightfully remember Jesus. The power of your resurrection. Fill us all overflowing today. Cleanse us all with precious cleansing blood. Give us a change of heart. Help us, Lord, as we serve you. Look forward to seeing you one day. In Jesus' name.